Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Jim Philpot. How are you, Jim? Very well, very well. Thanks for having me on. I am absolutely honored to have you on. Um, farming is always our ag in our province is always a point of interest for me. I grew up in a rural environment in Southern Quebec. I grew up on a farm and I moved to Alberta and I moved into the city and I kind of lost connection with um, a little bit of that community. So I always take the opportunity to bring people on any type of the ag or the food producing space is such a big part of our society. And let's be honest, a lot of times we go to the grocery store and we, and we don't know the story. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know how it got there. We just go in and we consume and don't always appreciate it. So you are the managing partner at West Grove Farms. So I'm going to start off with that. Give us a little bit of what's Westgrow all about. Let's start there and then let's have a bigger conversation. Westgrow Farms is a family-owned uh, entity and we, uh, we develop a proprietary aeroponics growing system and uh, we grow indoors in a vertical farm. Uh, okay. We don't use soil so uh, roots are suspended in air and they miss it with uh, water and nutrients and we uh, as I said, we, we grow in seven different levels in our uh, indoor vertical farm. And we harvest, uh, <clears throat> our first harvest is about 21 days from seeding. And then we realize a second harvest in about 12 days from that, that uh, initial harvest. Okay, wow. So from a traditional, let, let's just, I'll, I'll take the world that I know, which I don't know a lot about vertical farming, so I'm very interested to learn more. Aeroponics, so it grows in air and it's misted. If I had an, if I had an acre, and is this maybe, and let me know if I'm using a fair reference. If I've got an acre of traditional land, it's laid out, it's X by X. I should know how much exactly an acre is. But if I was to compare that to your environment and vertical, is that how you guys measure it? Is like this would be the equivalent of an acre of traditional produce, or is it a completely different world in terms of growth medium and also how you guys even look at uh, amount of space it takes to produce in equivalence to a traditional maybe greenhouse or even you know farm field environment? Well, there is a significant difference. Uh, we operate in our proof of concept uh, space. Uh, we're just about finished here now. Uh, it's roughly 6,000 square feet, and we have uh, 
just over 50,000 plants under light at any given time. So, um, you know, um, it would probably take, well, I know it would take significantly more than 6,000 square feet to get 50,000 plants in a conventional farm. So the, the advantage is you can grow up and you use a lot less water and a lot less property to grow uh, significantly more produce. So more produce, less space, Vert vertical, does that mean you, could you literally take a building and I'm going to just ask you extreme questions to see if this is how I find the guardrails of the conversation. It's downtown with there's a three story building or a two story building warehouse space that's been abandoned. Could you turn that into a grow, growing environment or is there really how specific is the location or does it have a lot of obviously you have to bring in your gear to make it work. But from the building itself perspective, does this give a lot of opportunity to use unused space or is it still very specialty and, <clears throat> and purpose built? Well, actually, uh, the building you described uh, would be more or less ideal for what we do. Okay. Um, you know, we, in order to get uh, maximum use out of your uh, your space, you would want a clear space of about 17 to 21 feet in order to get enough product in the space so it makes it economically feasible to produce. So, yeah, any any building will, will make... make uh, a pretty good indoor farm. So 17 to 21, that's pretty standard for an industrial higher ceiling. Probably that would be, I'm just thinking of a lot of even single story, like low rise warehouse space. Most of it has a ceiling a ceiling height that would probably be 21 feet. Is that, am I, again, I'm just using my mind's eye to think think about buildings I've been in over the years. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, most most buildings will have clear space under under the beam or the roof truss of at least 17 to 18 feet okay more more of the newer construction is probably going to give you upwards to 30. we uh we don't typically go that we don't want to go that far because uh harvesting becomes problematic and we have people on man lifts and uh, believe it or not the majority of our, our workers are um, female okay and uh um they don't uh, that I don't appreciate going much higher than 17 or 18 feet. So <laughs> as, as, someone, as someone who can who, who is also a scared of heights, uh, which is weird, I grew up on a farm climbing up in the rafters and then all of a sudden one day I became scared of heights. <laughs> I really empathize with the 17, 18 feet. That sounds about fine for me as as as, as well. And obviously you're tethered in. And so talk to me a little bit about, oh, I have so, I have so many questions. How... How laborious is this? Obviously, there's still the harvesting, which sounds like it's done by hand because you're in, a, in, in an environment. And so much of agriculture, I think, people don't realize how much is still done by hand when it comes to harvesting specialty. Oh, well, let's start at the top. What is it that you grow? What are your, what are your kind of top, top uh, things that you produce? Well, primarily right now, we're focusing on uh, various different uh, lettuces. Okay. Uh, we've, we've done arugula, spinach, Japanese spinach, uh, um, kale, mint, basil, you know, just about any green leaf we found we can be successful at. But what we have noticed is that uh, the best mass weight comes from lettuce. It grows the quickest and you get the most productivity from lettuce. So that's kind of where we're focused right now. And is that specifically for aeroponics that the leafy greens, uh, green leafy vegetables really lend well to that? Or is that just kind of where you guys have gone so far in your experimentation and your testing? Uh, it's 
kind of what what we've uh, what we've understood to be a recipe for success. Okay. We know that there's uh, a lot of different uh, products growing in our in our, in, a, in an aeroponics farm, but uh, we have not ventured out. Uh, Basically, because we're a relatively new entity, and you know, keeping the business um, aspect of your uh, your organization front and center, you want to make sure that uh, it's successful and profitable. So. We found that lettuce is kind of the, the sweet spot at this point. I, I really appreciate that, that, you know, the nice to have versus the let's make this sustainable. Let's make sure we're around for the long haul so then we can maybe have some test plots and then try some other things. But let's have a core functioning business model that's revenue positive or, you know, positive cash flow. How long have you guys been in business? What's, yes. what's your history? Um, we incorporated uh, October of 2016. Okay. And then uh, it took it took about uh, just about two years to develop uh, our growing system, and we were in revenue in uh, 2019. Okay, so ba- so roughly three years. We certainly supply. Okay. Go ahead, sorry. So no, I was going to say roughly three years from when you kind of got things going to when you started. So that's a lot of investment and a lot of like a lot of time and funds to kind of get from one point to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be, uh, you know, it's it's a fairly capital-intensive uh, space and, you know, and you need to make sure that you, the quality of your product is as good as you can get it and, uh, you know, kind of make your, make your name, make your mark on the quality and uh, freshness to market. And, you know, people, University of Alberta did a study in... 2016 I believe it was and they surveyed uh, people around Alberta and they uh, one of their key deliverables was they wanted to support local business Mm. and they also wanted to buy local to the extent possible and they wanted fresh local produce that was kind of a a jumping off point for us to, to develop what we did from your, for you guys' perspective, like as a marketer, when I see Westgrow Farms, is your job to, you know, is it the retailers or is it the grocery stores that see you as Westgrow Farms and understand your story and put you on the shelves? But is it, I guess I'm curious the dynamic between how much the customer plays into that demand of, you know, will they pay a few cents more or will they go to the someone in the grocery aisle and say, hey, where's the Westgrow Farms? You had it here a week ago. It's not here now. I want it because I, I, I bought into that Alberta story. The the no use of chemicals, preservatives. I'm always trying to understand the gap between what the retailer controls being in the grocery business versus what the supplier and how much the consumer pulls the push versus pull, how hard it is or what you've seen in your experience for that customer to start demanding, you know, one, the values that your products offer local and pesticide and, and, and chemical free, but also very specifically your brand name. What, what, what's kind of, have you seen there or is that part of the journey? Well, I think, um, you know, we're, we're in about 33 different retail locations around the city of Edmonton. Nice. And um, we have been, we've been extremely fortunate that those retailers have promoted our product and, you know, they, uh, Excellent. they promote local to the extent they can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, our, our challenge is to get the consumers to try it the first time. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, given the circumstances of the last couple of years, it's difficult to do, uh, well, it's impossible to do sampling. Right, so, which is know, so key in, in a grocery to, store yeah. environment is I have some friends in the business and they're like, you can do all the ads and promotion and social media. If you put someone in the store and allow people to try it, that is the single most effective path to getting customers to switch or to be, you know, take that chance of getting out of an old pattern of what they quote unquote always are used to buying. Mm-hmm. No question about it. I mean, it's, uh, it's, you know, we're, right now we're relying on uh, word of mouth and, uh, you know, recommendations from, folks that are customers and we did start in the farmers market uh, space you know probably in 2018 and that gave us an opportunity to have uh, customers consumers uh, sample our product and uh, it just took off from there but uh, you know because we are in a limited space right now we don't have a, a lot of product available to, uh, so I guess my, my point is, we don't, uh, we don't focus a lot on uh, new customers at this point because we're running pretty hard <laughs> to, uh, to supply our existing uh, retail I, customers. I, I, I appreciate that. Chasing a new customer is very, um, it's easy to romanticize that, but you never want to forget your current customers in that process would be kind of a key mistake in any type of a growth strategy. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly, and you know, you 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 get one opportunity. If you stub your toe, you're probably <laughs> lost that customer. So, yes, you know, we, you we are we are an unfor- we're we're an unforgiving bunch us us consumers. Uh, Jim, I'm curious from a how much we want to get into the detail of this, but from a pricing perspective. It, it one okay. I'll be blunt. Is your product more expensive or less expensive than another comparative, maybe non-organic or non-product on the shelf? I'm just curious about the competitive set there and kind of what it, competing against the fact that someone can always drop their price versus what you've seen the willingness of the consumer to quote unquote maybe pay a little extra. If that is indeed the case, if it is more expensive, it, oftentimes when you see chemical-free, preservative-free, best-free, there's a there's a cost premium, but there is a certain group of segment of the customer base that is willing to pay that. Kind of what's been your research, either anecdotal or, or, or very numbers-based, in terms of what people are willing to pay versus what you have to charge? Like, how's that been for you guys entering into this space? We've been we've been um, positioned in the market as a as a premium product. Okay. And um, <clears throat> there's there's a couple of reasons for that. Probably more than a couple, but uh, two of them, two of them primary reasons is uh, you know we're operating in a in a restricted space, only six thousand square feet, so we we can't produce the the volume that we need to produce to be able to reduce our uh, our operating costs. Okay. And you know um, once people um, have the opportunity to to taste the product. They consider it uh, to be a premium product, and they have willingly uh, uh, entered that premium product space. So, what, what would it. be the difference between the? I'll just be blunt: the cheapest lettuce versus a premium lettuce. Is it ten percent more, twenty percent more, or does it depend? What 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 are we kind of looking at for a price difference? It would depend, uh, you know, and it, there, there's some qualifiers to that. Our our product has a has a 21 day life shelf shelf life and product that uh, 95% of the product consumed in Canada 
it's imported from the southern U.S. or from Mexico. Mm. So by the time it arrives on the retailer shelf, there's not a lot of uh, shelf life. It's at, the, it's at the end of its run. <laughs> its best days are pretty behind much, it, basically. Pretty much it's, yeah. <laughs> it's expired. And, um, hmm. you know, uh, we, we are very detailed in our harvesting process, and we will not put a product in the package that is not considered consumable or merchantable. Okay. So there is no no call in our package, and it, the, pro- the product lasts for up to 21 days in your refrigerator at home. Hmm. And, you know, Canadians have been accustomed to, if you want lettuce for a meal tonight, you typically go and purchase it today. Yes. Whereas, you know, our product, you don't necessarily have to do that. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. No, we've all had a bag of lettuce that you didn't use right away, and two days later you take it out and, it, and it's wilted, and it's it's not something you would be proud to serve at your table. <laughs> Let's be blunt. Not at all. No. But that's been in a truck or on a plane or on the back of a, you know, something uh, making its way to our door. Uh, curious from an organizational perspective, I guess, and I've had a few other people on the show talking about like we have the technology or we have the potential to actually potentially one day be a net exporter of, of things like lettuce in, in, in our province. How much is that a motivation for you to be able to have uh, one be self-sustainable and not have to rely on these external, often lesser quality and things that have been like, if you talk about carbon footprint you talk about, you know, things spending a week in a truck, there's nothing appealing about that from a food perspective, but you're right. It's what we kind of are used to. I, I, do you see a reality where eventually Alberta could be in a position where we, I, I, I'll say we can supply, our own needs but a net exporter would be coming up to me later on down the road but what are your views on that and is, is that part of is that part of the motivation at west grow is to be able to supply everybody in alberta with local produce yeah one of one of our core principles is uh, we want to minimize our impact on the environment so you know we're focusing on areas of uh, larger population so we you know we strategically uh chosen Edmonton and our, you know, our next adventure would be Calgary. And we believe Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, those areas. Oh, excellent. Okay. So outside the province as well, right on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we fully recognize and understand that, uh, the people in Churchill, Manitoba would, uh, would probably benefit, but you know, the economics are just not such that it would make sense. I mean, the population is not there, so... Yeah, and hopefully the over, over time to, and micro-operations, because it's often those those communities that pay the most for the least quality produce, from what I've been told, of friends who work in that sector. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's opportunity to produce enough and ship it, but as I said, our, our core principle is to minimize the impact on the environment. So, we, okay. you know, if, you know, from, from our point of view, we wouldn't want to ship it to Thompson, Manitoba, but you know if they're going to get the quality of product that you referred to, it would make sense to bring it from Calgary as opposed to from Mexico. Of course, so yeah. overall, yeah, it's still, it's, it's still part of a similar challenge, but a lesser version of the challenge is what I'm hearing, a lesser version of the problem. That is correct. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, that. correct. 
Mm-hmm. So from your guys' perspective, uh, just getting into the business a little bit, how has this been? And again, you can share as much details. How has it been? How's the funding worked? Have people been interested in this from an investment standpoint? Have you guys self-funded this? Have you used the big institutions? Always curious when there's an idea like this that makes a lot of sense when you hear it out loud. And again, I'm sitting here on my chair going, wow, this makes a ton of sense. But I'm curious how the business community has related to you. Has it been, has it been quote unquote easy? And I guess it's never easy. <laughs> Probably people aren't running at you just trying to throw money at the problem. <laughs> Uh, to throw money at the opportunity, but how's that part of the business been for you? And when you talk about expansion, how do you see that? Is there an, is there an appetite, pun intended, out there in venture cap or even institutional money to invest in this type of a business? Um, you know, so far, and I'm still waiting for the morning when I will when I roll up here and there's going to be a bag of money on the step. But <laughs> it, it hasn't. It hasn't. It happened hasn't yet. happened yet. Okay, I appreciate your honesty on that. No. <laughs> But uh, but realistically, it is capital intensive, and uh, you know our, our one of our strategies is uh, have a larger footprint, produce more, get your unit cost down. Yeah. So okay. it starts to make more sense, and uh, you know as far as um, participation from the general market and in investment, um, you know you you continually get the story that. This is new, never been tried before, not something we typically do. And you yeah, know, yeah, all the all the the, the standard list of ex- the list of excuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, yeah. But if you're, you, if, yeah. you you guys didn't invent aeroponics. This is this is something that like so curious in your process and just getting to like, now. Now we're in the investor pitch environment. This is maybe yeah. new in Alberta, but am I correct to think this isn't a new concept? This isn't something that Westgro invented. This is something that you guys took and turned it into your own version. Am I am I correct on that? I, may, I might be just making some assumptions here. No, no, that's absolutely correct. Uh, actually, uh, aeroponics was developed in the early 1970s. Okay. By NASA for uh, astronauts, and uh, you know it's been been fine-tuned since that time. And many folks have have gone through the iterations of uh, fine-tuning and getting a, getting a system that they believe is best for what they do. Right. Okay. You know, it's been around a long time, but uh, you know, not not uh, not typically found in northern Canada where. Uh, you know, our growing season is short. I see, I see. And is this also just a factor of... We've we've always found another way to do it. We've you know got acres and acres of greenhouses around our province where we where we've where we're doing uh, t- trying to take tr- trying to outsmart nature by by putting a roof over top because we've got six months of it's snowing right now in Calgary right now so it wouldn't be much good for your lettuce yeah. your lettuce crop. <laughs> My wife's garden has taken a pounding because yeah. everything started to grow and then it then it got minus fifteen on the weekend. But I, is this just is this another alternative to so if, if I say to you well actually if I'm an investor why wouldn't I go invest in this operation here that has thirty acres of greenhouses versus what you guys are doing same different like how would you how would you respond to that that question well you know in your typical greenhouse uh, grows in in soil or uh, hydroponics where there's a lot more water okay. you know what our, our commitment is to as I said mm. minimize our impact to the environment so we we produce and utilize uh, carbon neutral energy and uh, we're able to export carbon neutral energy to the Alberta grid. And, you know, we, uh, we uh, produce our own CO2 
and we have CO2 available to the open market. Oh, interesting. How do you, how do you guys produce the CO2? Um, basically, it's a separation from the exhaust of the natural gas generator. Nice. Okay, excellent. So, yeah, I've, I've had another group on that... that Intermerge, where they where they connected the greenhouses with the, with um, natural gas wells to do exactly that, which I found was just made so much yes, sense because yeah. you're also capitalizing on these uh, multiple resources and skills that we have in this province. <laughs> yeah, we 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 believe uh, we have four four distinct silos. You know, one you know the primary being production of green leaf produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, production and uh, utilization of uh, Carbon neutral energy, and the third would be uh, production and uh, utilization of CO2 that's been produced on site. Okay. And you know, then there's uh, the fourth one would be uh, carbon credits. Uh, interesting. So really playing into kind of our current environment and some of the opportunities that are out there from a Absolutely. from a government regulatory uh, touching on that uh, from a regulatory and government perspective uh, and this is where you know, please be as honest as you like is government helping or hindering are they doing the right things are they putting the right incentives in place but simultaneously removing some of the barriers what what's what's that relationship been like and i'll let you tread wherever you'd like to tread on this one <laughs> <laughs> okay you laid, laid the minefield i did it's up yeah. to you sir <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> No, basically, um, you know, there, there's some opportunities, but again, they uh, they see, you know, um, requests on a daily basis mm-hmm. for things that are not unlike what we do, and uh, you know, there's it's so drawn out and takes a long lot of time. Yeah. Okay. You know, and there's a there's a bill before government currently. It's Bill eighty six. And that will allow uh, easier access to export, you know, energy back to the grid. And, you know, Mm. because the government are currently wrestling with several other issues, um, you know, this particular bill is not rising to the top. (laughs) There are many problems to solve. I wouldn't wouldn't want their jobs either. I'll be respectful in saying that. (laughs) No, no, not at all. No. Okay, so a few a few things, but uh, okay. Um, so let's like let's look down the road a little bit. So you guys have obviously established beyond proof of concept. It's working. The public, you know, you've got the you've got the quality of the product. So ultimately, your primary output. Like I appreciate your four pillars. That helps give me some perspective. But ultimately, from a consumer's perspective, like this is the lettuce I like because it tastes amazing. So what's what's next steps for you guys? Is it expansion to Calgary or is it a bigger facility in Edmonton? Like what do you see as kind of the road ahead now that you're what we're eight four six years in to the journey? Well, you know, it was a, a couple of years of fine-tuning the process and making sure that what we were doing was was going to work. Um, our, our next step would be, uh, you know, developing uh, a full production facility in Edmonton, and that will uh, that will give us about just over half a million plants under light at any given time. Okay, up from in up Edmonton. from fifty thousand, so that's a significant increase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we uh, we anticipate we'll be in revenue in that facility uh, by Q four of this year. Oh, fantastic! And, okay, uh, so in re- in real time, like that 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 we don't have to look that far out beyond the bow of the ship to see where we're going. Okay, right on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, we anticipate we'll have a production facility in Calgary in Q three of next year, and that facility 
will have about uh, just under 750,000 plants under light at any given time. So curious the number you know, the, the the numbers and I'm just just me being curious now. Say you you doubled and put a million plants in Edmonton, and then you put them in a truck and ship them down here. Would economically is it simply for because that doesn't meet one of your core mandates, which is to minimize your your carbon footprint and to have less impact of not having to truck things? I'm just playing out the the curious my curious brain on the business plan of building a second facility well, and, and running two very big different op, like two operations are still two operations even though you've got the working model you've got two teams and you've got two sets of variables. Is that still a better play? I guess what's the what's the business what's the deciding factor on just maximizing and going really big in Edmonton where you already have a footprint. Mm. Well, our, our um, again, you know, it comes back to our, you know, our our principles that we can put our foot against, and uh, it's to minimize transportation. And we believe that the consumers in Calgary, for instance, would appreciate product grown and developed in Calgary right, versus from just a brand and, and the value that the, as consumers, we've already been taught over the last handful of years to in, in, in marketing, you always look at where's the culture already headed and how can you intersect with that? Cause you're, it's very hard to create it as a small company, but if everybody's already valuing local, that's already a movement that's, that's been well established the last kind of four or five years for sure. I believe so. And you know, uh, we, we want to respect uh, what the consumer appreciates and, and requires and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we believe that although it's probably not going to generate the maximum revenue, it will be sustainable. Okay. And I believe that the we believe that the customers would appreciate it more. What I'm also hearing here, I'm putting my own words to it. You guys are playing the long game. You're not playing the short. Like let's maximize so. profit because with ag and you know th these are this is a long game by inherent by its inherent nature. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm, yeah, I appreciate that. And we uh, we believe that. Uh, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta live by your principles and, and do what you say you're going to do. And we believe that, uh, with getting help from the end consumer, that will help us along in the long, in, in the long run. But, you know, uh, you know, some challenges are, you know, removing plastic packaging and, uh, you know, currently mm. there is not a reasonable alternative and, uh, we're, uh, we're waiting, anxiously waiting on the sideline here, waiting to see an alternative to a clamshell. And, and, you know, one of the key issues with that is uh, a solid, uh, high-level clamshell assists in shelf life preservation. And, you know, we, we just can't put it in plastic or paper bags. And, it, it you know, it, it denigrates the, the quality of the product. So... We need to stay focused on that. I'm going to put you in touch with a, a friend of mine I had on the podcast. Uh, I don't know. Did you listen to the John McGinnis episode where he talked about Earthware, his new company where he's uh, reusable and returnable and creating a whole environment around the uh, ordering in concept of like, it just made me think of you and yes, go, hmm, yes. John's working yeah. on something there. Yeah. I wonder, anyways, I love connecting people. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, we, uh, you know, we're, we're open to any suggestions, but uh, you know, it has to assist with the quality of the product and the shelf life and you know the, of course it has to be uh, economical at the end of the day of so course. it can survive yes because the consumer still ultimately has to be able to put their dollars towards it and 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 it has to make sense touching back to something we we talked about at the beginning about labor and being you know 
I, I'm using the word labor intensive, physically harvesting 50,000 plants in a, in a rotation. That feels like a lot of work to me. And I grew up on a farm and we used big equipment with 100 acre fields, which are still small compared to what you, what you deal with in Alberta. That was in Southern Quebec. <laughs> but it was, you know, big equipment for the day and thinking about doing a lot of this by hand. And, you know, that was in your small grains and your corn and where it was like higher volume. What's, how's, what's the labor, what's it like? Is there a labor shortage? Is it challenging to get help? Like I'm talking to so many people today and, oh, I just can't find people. I can't find people. How is that a factor for you guys in terms of the harvesting and, and what, how has that been a challenge or mm-hmm. is that something you've been able to get access to and just how labor intensive is this harvesting lettuce uh, at 18 feet or 17 feet? Well, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll minimize our, our height to the extent possible. Right. Of course. But, uh, it's, I am, I am the only guy in this building. Okay. Mm-hmm. Women, women like it, and they they walk into uh, the grow room and they say, you know, this is a the temperature is great. Uh, they enjoy the light. They like the smell, and they like the work. Hmm. Okay, and, that's awesome. Uh, you cre- you create an environment that isn't only that's healthy for humans as well as plants. Hmm. Fun, funny how those two are similar. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> that's yeah. another that's another whole commentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we we find that uh, you know women who want to get back in the workforce really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, we, we think we will have about between 20 and 25 employees in the full production plant okay. in here in, in Edmonton. And we'll probably get to about 32 to 34 in Calgary. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, but it becomes a trap. We, we've had, uh, we've had uh, nurses approach us because they're, they're considering alternatives and hmm. you know females really like the environment that's interesting and is it a full-time like is is it because of course growing up in in, in in agriculture everything was seasonal work you guys have standardized yeah. the weather basically to create an environment where there's cycles but is it a 40-hour work week or is it it doesn't it, does it move in cycles like i'm always thinking about specifically talking about maybe people women in this case that want to come back to the workforce but only part-time because they have kids they've got other things going on is does it also lend to that or is it a is it a full-time 40-hour week kind of kind of role well ideally it'll be 40 hours a week but you know, we we also know that these people have children and families, and mm-hmm. they need need the flexibility. And we try to try to accommodate that to the extent we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if if a person has to be home for their kids getting out of school, we we understand, we appreciate that. So we uh, you know we try to accommodate where possible. I appreciate what you said early on that this is a family a family affair and family business and so much in the farming world. I grew up and everyone helped everyone because you were related or you were cousins or you just lived beside each other for the last 50 years. So that's just that's just how it worked in that community. And I think when you grow up on it, you take for granted that it is a very family and community and everyone chips in when they when they when they can and when they are available. But everyone gets time. You know, that is a different environment than your classic nine to five kind of corporate, which I think most of us that feels like a relic. Anyways, we all have our these lives where we still want to be involved, but we've got kids and we've got lives and we've got households and families and stuff, <laughs> just stuff to do. Um, now, you know, what we've found over the years is that, you know, if you don't try to accommodate, you know, people will find alternatives. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, yes, we, we can always, I, I, this, I, we can decide with our, with our attendance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, uh, my, my role is, is construction and, and, the, and the business side. Okay. But my wife, uh, 
manages and uh, ensures that the, the planting and the actual farm site is managed. So, you know, having been a, a stay-at-home mom herself, she understands and appreciates what these people require. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and to, to the extent possible, we make every effort to accommodate where we can. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and have and I think that's a value proposition that it will attract the right the, the right kind of team or the right the right people you want. So going forward, we look to the future. Uh, besides, no big bags of money piled out outside your door, which is always a factor, <laughs> which we all would like. I check my door every morning as well. I have yet to find one. Yeah. Uh, maybe a wheelbarrow of money too is fine. You don't have to put it in a bag. Um, what's the what do you see as kind of the, what do you see as the as kind of the obstacles or what are the things that you know if we were going to wave the magic wand and kind of move them out of your way to be able to just keep moving this business, which is something you're clearly passionate about. What 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 would be what would be things we could push out of the way to help accelerate this process? Well, you know, um, quickness to market is is key, as you, as you know. Um, you know, if if we continue to to do this on our own, uh, we'll be later to market in a lot of areas. Okay. So you know, we we may have to step back and reevaluate um, how we move forward. And uh, you know, again, you know, with if if uh, capital wasn't uh, an issue at this point, mm -hmm. we could be in Calgary this year. I see. But because okay. we're primarily uh, building on operating operating funding, um, you know, it, it's going to take longer. Yeah, fair, fair, so fair if enough. I could remove yeah. anything, that's what it would be. Okay, which means getting to market quicker. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. When you're when you're building it off cash flow and and building it off an operating, it, it's obviously it, it, it kind of self it it almost self regulates it, it as as you you know you know what I mean. It, it has its own it has its own Absolutely. it meters its it meters its its own its own flow. Um, from a perspective of maybe it's weird. How competitive is this space? Because the grocery business I know is very competitive. People are splitting pennies. You know, you look at there's other ways people can get their their lettuce. We'll just pick lettuce as the product. They can ship it in. They can get it from other you know maybe greenhouse operations in Alberta. They can get it from you. How competitive is that on the store shelves? Is that is is that a factor, or do you see the fact that there's a high demand for quality products, and as as long as we can supply it, the market will absorb it? What what? How does that factor into you? Uh, just the competitive landscape. Well, there's a you know, as you know, there's there's market segmentation and. You know, there's a certain portion of the market consumers that are looking for quality product, mm -hmm. and there's and there's a certain different segmentation that uh, you know has some restrictions and are not able to make those decisions. So you know, there's there's a there's a lane for for free segment, and uh, you know we believe that uh, because we are position as a premium product um, we believe that we can win the customers through the quality of our product I appreciate it. And am I able to, I'm just on your website right now, and can I buy directly? Like, it seems I got Add to Cart here. I'm going to push Add to Cart. Where do I end? Well, because we were, we originally started in farmer's markets, we yep. had a we had a customer base that we continue to service. Yeah, but we we need to respect and appreciate what our retailers do for us. So you know, that's that's their lane. So okay, I, pre we I appreciate. We have 
we have made a conscious effort to stay out of that lane and you know we continue to supply some of our original customers but you know we we believe that it probably would be best to direct those consumers to the retailers. Uh, okay, which I, I I really appreciate that. And I also, I am a believer in core competencies and a core competency of retailing a product is different than the core competency of growing the best product possible. They, they can exist together, but they're two very different skills. And I appreciate the discipline. Absolutely. Of, as I was yeah. told years ago, you're more defined often by what you say no to in business than what you say yes to. Saying yes is easy at first. Yeah. <laughs> it's, harder in the, yeah. it's harder in the long yeah. run. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you guys are in Edmonton, yes, right? Then you got to go. Then you got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thirty-three locations. Do you want to? I have maybe I was. I, I don't want to put you on the spot and tell you to plug a few locations because if you don't plug them all, but sounds like if I'm in Edmonton and I'm looking for this product, I can find it. It's out there. It's in the stores. If I'm in Calgary, I because a lot of my audience is is well, it's Alberta based, but a lot of it's in Southern Alberta. Um, I'm I've got to wait till next year. Is that what I, is that what I'm hearing? I, I I've, I've got an excited audience, but hopefully that wants to go out and find your product. But I can I buy it in Calgary anywhere right now or no? No, it, because again, it, it comes back to we're trying to minimize the impact, and uh, you know, with uh, with not being operating in Calgary right now, it would be kind of hypocritical to yeah. say that we're going to yeah. put it in the truck and send it down the highway. Yeah, I <laughs> like that's, that. that's not what we want to do. And curious, uh, just from a market perspective, when you come to Cal when you do come setting up in Calgary, especially in the early days as you're getting things up and running, will you do the farmers market circuit again? Like, would you follow that formula? Or now that you have enough, there's probably a lot of stores in Edmonton that also have locations in Calgary. It's probably going to be easier to get in. But I'm just curious from a marketing perspective, would you take that very grassroots approach of the farmers markets to really create awareness, or would you go, or is your plan to go direct to the the grocery retailers? I, I think right now we would stick with our retailers and mean okay. they've been been phenomenal and uh, we, we would like to to continue on that path to the extent possible i'm imagining there's quite a if you've got a partner in edmonton that you've been working with and who has locations in calgary they're probably on a steady on a steady state asking you when you're going to be available in calgary because they I, i'm assuming they're anxious you probably have a lot of open doors waiting for you when you get to, when you get to town mm -hmm. We we are not anticipating that we'll have a problem marketing the product we have, but mm -hmm. you know, so far in our life cycle, what we've seen is, uh, you know, we we don't have enough product to meet current demand. <laughs> so we're you know we're, we're struggling. It's you know for for an entrepreneur, it's kind of a just like seeing your mother-in-law drive over the cliff in your brand new pickup. You know, it was a nice truck. It was Jim, a really I nice I truck. I appreciate that metaphor. That's, a, that's an old joke that I think that's... A, all, the, all, the, all, all those women are going to work for you come kick your ass after this episode, Jim. That's probably going to happen Yeah, anyway. no, that's probably going to happen anyways. That's... I, I do yeah. appreciate that that that's a, what you just described. I like to refer to those as success problems that are very frustrating and not having having more demand than you have supply is probably one of the worst things from a business owner perspective. That's like ah, really? Are you kidding me? This is the problem I have I have now yeah. after years of slugging exactly. it out. <laughs> Jim, yeah, I appreciate exactly. your candor. Uh, that was a, <laughs> if people have listened right through the end, they're going to get a little nugget, a little laugh from, at the end. That was awesome. <laughs> um, Westgrowfarms.com. Check you guys out for my Calgary audience. I apologize, but at the same time, get excited keep your eye out 
guys are coming to Calgary next year, which is great. I love this story. You helped me learn a lot more about aeroponics, which I didn't know uh, nearly enough before. And uh, Jim, is there if someone wants to reach out, they want to learn more, they want to get involved, they want to come work for you. What, what what's the best way for somebody to contact you guys? Oh, you know, we're on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, and uh, you know, uh, my email address is on on our webpage. Oh, and, fantastic! Uh, okay, we're, we respond quickly. You guys are doing awesome work. I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the dream, and I, I I appreciate or what I heard loud and clear was how principled your business is around what's important to you. How it would be easy to do this, but then that would be hypocritical because that's not who we are. And I think that that's the discipline it takes when you grow a business because things there's things pull you in all kinds of different directions. And if you don't have those values to always look back on, then the argument I think you kind of said, well, what 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 do what do you have? <laughs> Probably not much. So exactly. so Jim, well done, and thanks for coming on the show. It was great chatting with you, and uh, I look forward to I look forward to having you back on when you guys are ready to launch in Calgary, so we can let all of our uh, my audience know that they're now they're now can get access to some West Grove farms uh nat naturally beyond organic lettuce i'm just looking at your website right now but jim thanks for coming on i really appreciate the chat tyler thanks so much for having me absolute pleasure